Hello and welcome to Habemus Papam, episode 243, Benedict the 13th. Dear brothers and sisters, Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis. Annuncio Vobis Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Gaudium Magnum. Habemus Papam. So last week's Pope came from the old Roman and papal family of the Contis. Today is also from an old Roman and papal family, which we haven't talked about in a while, the famous Orsini family. But when you hear old Roman family, oftentimes you think of politics and not necessarily about spirituality. But today's Pope will be a pleasant surprise on that front. He was born Pier Francesco Orsini on February 2nd, 1650. His father was the Duke of Gravina, a small town in Puglia in southern Italy. Pier Francesco was the eldest son, so when his father died, he inherited the titles and duties of being a duke. He was not, therefore, destined for the church from an early age, like most of the popes we've been talking about. But as a young man, he discerned a call to religious life, and he wanted to join the Dominicans. His mother was vehemently opposed, and she got his uncle, Cardinal Virgino Orsini, on her side, and the two of them went to Pope Clement IX to have him set the young man straight. But even having the Pope vaguely against your vocation is not enough, if God wills it. And in 1668, when he was ostensibly on a school trip to Venice, the young Pier Francesco ran away and joined the Dominicans and took a religious name, Brother Vincenzo Maria. He studied at Bologna, and on March 24, 1671, he was ordained a priest. Now, shortly after his ordination to the priesthood in 1672, at the age of 22, Father Orsini was named a cardinal by Pope Clement. It happened in part because one of Clement's nieces married Father Orsini's brother, Father Rossini taught and published scholarly works, and for a time it looked like the Pope was going to pull him into curial duties, but the pious Dominican friar wanted to be in pastoral work. The Pope appointed him the Bishop of Manfredonia in January of 1675. Now, there's a story that the Pope gave him a choice of two dioceses, and he chose Manfredonia because it was poor and would require more pastoral care. He threw himself into the pastoral work of his diocese with zeal, promoting the authentic reform of the clergy, institutions for better care of the poor and the vulnerable, and held several diocesan synods. In March of 1686, he was named the Archbishop of Benevento, and he continued his pastoral work on a larger scale. Now, the previous bishop of Benevento had never actually lived in Benevento and didn't seem to really care much about it, so the new Archbishop, Cardinal Orsini, was a really breath of fresh air. He would end up serving there for 40 years, and his pastoral work was extensive. He visited, preached, came up with new strategies for pastoral care, and was all in all an exemplary bishop. He continued as well to live his life as a Dominican friar, even though he had been elevated to the episcopacy. He was a humble, studious, and devoted follower of St. Dominic. As a cardinal, he wasn't drawn into papal politics, but always voted for the cardinal he thought was most worthy. But that absence from papal politics was a two-edged sword. It meant that if he ever were to be elected pope, he would lack the hands-on administrative experience to run the Vatican effectively. Now, that time came in 1724, the death of Pope Innocent XIII. The conclave, like many at this time, was deadlocked between the French and the Austrians. Cardinal Orsini was not ambitious for the job. He was a supporter of the Austrian side. But after two months, in May of 1724, both sides agreed on him. He was a political neophyte, a holy man. He was 75 years old, so he wasn't too young. He was a perfect compromise. Both sides thought they could use his inexperience to their advantage. He finally was elected Pope on May 29, 1724, and he took the name Benedict XIII. Unfortunately, though he was a zealous holy man, he was not an effective Pope. As we noted earlier, he didn't understand papal politics, so he did what a lot of other holy popes have done in similar situations, and he trusted the wrong people, and he made them do the administrative work. In this case, he chose a man named Niccolo Cosca, his secretary when he was Archbishop in Benevento, and he named him Cardinal Secretary of State, even though most of the cardinals were vehemently opposed to it. 
Cardinal Coscio was not a good man. He exploited his influence, he actively sought bribes and other payouts, and in general he ruined the reputation of the papal bureaucracy and destroyed the finances of the papacy. So thus served, he was, the Pope was unable to adequately deal with other challenges facing the papacy. The most pressing and the worst handled was over Sardinia. He gave in completely to the demands made by the king of Sardinia regarding the Pope's relationship with the church in the country. Because of his corrupt advisors, used him completely, keeping him cut off from the cardinals who would have advised him better, and then putting a pious face to seal the deal. You know, in fact, the Sardinian representative showed up with a collection of relics and a lot of prepared pious phrases, and that carried the day. His next big task was in the continued fight over Jansenism. Even when he was Archbishop, Pope Benedict XIII was not a hardliner in dealing with theological disputes. As much as possible, he wanted to reconcile everyone, and so he approached Jansenism with a softer touch than those before him. In particular, he was hoping to reconcile the Jansenist Bishop of Paris, Cardinal de Noailles. But like in his civil government, he was able to be pushed around by competing sides, and he didn't get too far. Eventually, in 1728, after a more disciplined, focused approach, Cardinal de Noailles did submit to Rome, in part because of the pressure of other French cardinals who held the power in France. Even this liturgical moves didn't go well. He added the Feast of St. Gregory VII to the calendar, and half the European world revolted because Gregory's fight with the Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV, and it was seen as an attack on the emperor and on other political sovereigns. In some countries, even the breviary was forbidden from being published because of the addition. Now, despite his lackluster pontificate, Pope Benedict XIII was a very holy man. He continued to live his Dominican rule throughout his papacy. He studied, taught, heard confessions regularly. He attempted desperately to reform the clergy as pope. He lived a rigorous religious life, and in the winter of 1713, he caught the flu and died on February 21st, 1730. His cause for canonization has been opened multiple times, and it was closed in 1940 because of the pope's reliance on the despicable Cardinal Cosia but was reopened in 2004, and he has been declared a servant of God. He was buried in the Dominican Church of Santa Maria Sopra Minerva, and he was succeeded by Pope Clement XII. We will talk about him next week. Thank you for listening to Albemus Papam. You can find the rest of the Catholic Link podcast at catholiclink.org or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thank you, and God bless you.